want to read a few questions and someone ask if, the, if you could verbally ask questions. If you'd like to, you definitely can raise your hand. I'm going to read these first and then we have one that came through by text that says, I have had, I have and have had very critical and controlling parents. It's so hard being around them without all that pain resurfacing. But I earnestly desire to relate to them in a redemptive way. I find myself being critical to my young children as well, and it scares me. You know, from someone who, who has suffered with a critical spirit um, and a controlling spirit, I can honestly offer to you it's a hard nut to crack. Because it's a lifetime. It's something you've been involved in for a lifetime. And even though you may not see it, there are, there are gains, positive gains, at least broken but positive gains. And sometimes that gain is, is if I can control you, then you don't hurt me as much. If I can keep you from doing things that make me upset, then I don't have to hurt as much. That's what control is born in. It's protection. It's like a huge wall. It says, I will just make everyone do how I see them, how they're supposed to do, then I don't have to worry. If my kids all line up, then I don't have to see myself. If they all do well, then I don't have to think I'm a bad parent. If they fail, then, uh-oh, I might be a bad parent, so I have to make them behave. A critical spirit is one that does very similar things. If I can make them know how displeased I am, you know, it's like I don't want to come right out and be a jerk, so I'll just cover it in sweetness. You know, oh, I'm just trying to help, but, you know, you really smell today. Well, thank you very much. Do I really need to know that? No, I really don't. Or whatever it is. I mean, that's, a, that's not a great example, but a critical spirit is constantly going to smile to your face and offer you something different. So I'm offering that to you that if you feel that way sometimes, like if you walk into a room and you're in someone's life and they smile, and these are some key statements. Well, I was only trying to help. That's a key critical statement. I was only trying to help. Well, Sometimes if you look beyond that, I was only trying to help. What I was really trying to do is let you know just how bad you are so you could improve and I don't have to feel bad about you anymore. Or I was just joking. You know, saying something to someone that hurts and then adding it, well, I was really just joking. It's a critical spirit. It's a way of trying to get something out that slides under the door that then you know I, I'm, not really, I'm not really helping. I'm, I'm doing it because I want you to change. So <clears throat> I'm going to make sure I answer that question. Um, being critical to your young children and trying to still be around your parents you know, being around someone who has a critical spirit is very hard once you realize that because it hurts. You start to really know the hurt, and it also kind of makes you feel sick to your stomach sometimes because if you're around someone who's critical and controlling, you kind of start to feel it. In the beginning, it just feels like everything's normal. I would have told you that I came from a very perfect family. We had the best Christmases. Everything was lined up. Everything was beautiful. My mom always had everything together. We had great Christmases. We had great holidays. But it was only if you fell in line. It was only if you were in your role. If you step outside your role or if you go against the grain, then that's when a critical spirit will fall apart. And so being around that may mean you're around it less. Sometimes I, I truly believe that... that um, not confronting, but, but beginning to press against a critical spirit helps you to stop being controlled by it. So if you're a child of a parent who has a critical spirit, sometimes it's okay to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I love you, but no. 
Or you know what, Mom, there's nothing wrong with these shoes. It's okay. Or you know what, I like my hair the way it is. You know, I don't have to perform the way you want me to perform. Yes? Well, that's the uncomfortable place, but sometimes the wrath is what they'll need to see, and you just have to stand out of the way of the wrath the best you can. Well, you know what I think is really important is... <clears throat> I mean, I understand that, that it's hard to be around a critical spirit, and I understand, you know, the fear of being critical to your own children... But the important thing is, is, is that, you know, when we talk a lot about, about how you feel and the wounding, the hidden wounds, it's, it's what does that critical spirit, what does that criticism of me cause me to feel? What has it caused me to feel? And sometimes it's that grieving of that feeling and that hurting through that feeling. Because unfortunately, if you meet up with a critical spirit, and you confront it. And so I'm just offering that it may not always be confronting it. Because really the change is going to take place when your heart changes. And you no longer believe that critical spirit. You know? It's like my own father. It's, it's, I had to go in and I had to, to feel the wounds. And I had to cry and to grieve. It says in the Bible that says that tears are better than laughter for tears scour the soul. You know, that scouring, it's that scouring, that cleaning of your soul, that cleaning up of that bitter root. Because a critical spirit can lead right to a bitter root in your heart. Well, I'm just not going to let it hurt me anymore. It's not going to hurt me. Nothing you say or you say or you say. At first it starts with your father or your mother or your, you know, whoever. You know, but then, you know, as, as this hat of your father or your mother moves on to this person or this person or this person, you know, all these people start wearing these hats of these critical spirits. And so you build up these walls that, you know what, I'm not going to believe. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build boundaries. I'm going to build walls. I'm going to build up. I'm going to be a strong person, but guess what? That's just a bitter root. And that bitter root says in the Bible, it says that it does not only affect you, it affects everything around you. That's when your kids come in. You know, and so so in order to, you know, you can sit and you can, you know, say I'm afraid, you know, it says I'm afraid because I start becoming critical of my children. But it really requires going in and saying, what was that hurt in there? What is that hurt? Because it was not until I went to that place and could go through that hurt and how it hurt me and be, begin filling that spot. You know, it talks in the Bible about cleaning house. And you have to clean house, but you have to fill it with truth. You have to fill it with what is the truth. Because then when the truth comes in, you're on the unshakable foundation of I know who I am. And guess what? You, whoever you are, can't tell me that I'm less than, you know? And it's not that you're going to say that to them, but guess what? The truth is, is that you no longer need to let them know that they're being critical or be angry at them. Guess what? You learn to love well. You learn to love well. You know what? Yeah, I see that you think I'm less than. But guess what? I love you. That's what I learned that when I could sit down with my dad, you know, after he came out of the hospital and, and things were better and I started healing and I started... I did have to pull away for a while. You know, in the, in the text it says that you have a hard time... You know, even being around that, well, maybe you just not to be, don't be around it for a little while until you heal. Let God come in and do some healing. It's okay. 
You know, the thing is, if you feel like you, you need to be there, I need to be there, that's that critical spirit, spirit calling you in and saying, you know, you have to always be there to try and get that approval because that's what you're, a critical spirit is ultimately going to be asking you to look for what it is that I'm going to get your approval finally that's not going to tell me I'm less than or I'm not worthy, you know, so... Okay, I'll get off my horse. <laughs> that's what I think. About. And that's great. And that's absolutely the truth. It's hard to do that, to, to put you know, more love in place of, of a critical spirit and just say, I'm not going to go there. Um, I guess I think it's interesting, or, or, or sometimes there are possibilities where the door opens, where the person with the critical spirit will allow you to actually talk with them about it. And, but I think it does come back to knowing who you are and being able to say, this is who I am under whatever they say and trying to live on. And with kids, I think at least I can only tell you what's helped with me is being a parent that's not, that's not afraid to say, I'm sorry. Because yeah, sometimes a critical spirit jumps out before you're even, you're even aware that it's jumped out. And so I've had to go back sometimes and say, I'm sorry about that, you know? I didn't mean to. You know, I think if a parent can apologize, it shows their kids that they're not perfect. And so a less than perfect kid is more apt to go to their parent who's less than perfect if there's an open door there. Let me read this one here. How can you communicate to your spouse what bothers you or upsets you without making them feel you are attacking or criticizing? Um... There's not a way to do that. It's always going to happen. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, it, Shay and I have a saying that the, ar- the couple that argues together stays together. And that's because if you can keep talking, you at least have a ground to begin to know what's really going on. Now, please hear me. I don't mean that the couple who takes it to the level of argument where you're wanting to scream and yell and throw things and run out of the house is always, it's not good. That's not a good place. But, but I, think, I think, you know, we oftentimes know in a, in a relationship that it's important to be able to sharpen one another. I mean, she sharpens me, I sharpen her. I'm generally the one that can see some of her brokenness. I'm not all the way, all the time, always able to do that. And she's definitely the one who can sometimes see my brokenness. And I can swear to you, there are times that I don't want to see it. So if you try to go to your spouse and say, this is what hurts me, they may not hear it the first time. But I've appreciated over time, not immediately, but over time I've appreciated Shay's persistence. And occasionally, not every argument saying, hey, you may want to look at this, you know, and trying to say it in a place where we're not arguing, you know. Have you ever just seen this about how you're, you, you do this or how this happens? If you do it in the middle of an argument where you're already hurt and already upset, then your spouse is absolutely not going to see it. It's just angry, don't talk to me, I don't want to know that. But if you can come to each other at least in another place where you can say, hey, is, there, is it okay if I, I sometimes am, I'm not a real proponent of texting in a marriage, but sometimes it's okay to text something you think a person's just going to react to. So you can actually get their words back and at least have something to look at to see what's going on. I'm not saying you stay there. Please don't hear me. I'm not saying a couple should always text everything to each other. I'm saying if you know there's a hot button issue that you have not been able to get through, sometimes it's nice to send them a little card or put it in a little note and just say, hey, this is some things I've been praying about for you. That's a much better place than you do this and you need to stop it. That never leaves the door open for good things. And, and to not quit. I know that hurts. And don't do it every, every day. But ask the Lord, when are some good times for me to keep... There have been times I've prayed about things before I've gone to Shay and talked to her about them, and they still end in an argument. But I still go back, and we talk about them again, and vice versa. I mean, I've heard her say this in an argument before. And I even prayed about this, and I don't know why you didn't... You know, it's like, okay, yes, you can pray about something, and God says, yes, go ahead and talk about it. But it doesn't mean it always ends well. 
But if you really see it as a broken place in your marriage, keep talking about it. It might be you. It might be something you need to see. But it also might be them. And they, the more you talk about it, it may whittle that wall down a little bit. Sometimes those walls are heavy and they're thick and they're hard to get through. Okay? Go ahead. Well, and sometimes it's just to remember that, you know, sometimes in, in arguments it becomes, you know, who's going to end up being right? You know, it's, it's this battle. And so there are arguments that we still just table. We, we don't, they're unfinished arguments. We don't bring them up all the time. They come up occasionally and they're unresolved. But then sometimes it's just good to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to talk to you and you don't want to talk to me because all we're doing is arguing. So let's go to a movie and you sit and sit in a movie or do something and then just table it. Just decide nobody has to win this battle today. And try not to make it a battle. Yeah, but sometimes it feels that way. You can't. Right. Sometimes it feels like an argument no matter what. Regarding a critical spirit, can you teach a child, can you instruct or teach a child without making them feel like you're criticizing them? Absolutely. I think criticizing is telling them what they're doing wrong. Teaching them is telling them how they can do it right. It doesn't always have to be, well, you're doing this wrong and you're doing that wrong and you did this wrong. It's a personal attack on them, you know? I think teaching is just, hey, you know, this didn't turn out the way you wanted it. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it. Absolutely. And you don't want to be crazy about it. You know, you don't want to, oh, I can't say a word to my child because I don't want that critical spirit to jump out. It's like you just want to try to do your best at teaching them in ways that will help them. You know, we do more advice, you know, and I know with little kids that's difficult. We don't have little kids anymore. But trying to advise your, advise your kids you know, at a certain age, and it's trying to figure out where your motive is. Is my motive to try to change this child because of me? Because I'm embarrassed by them? Because I'm embarrassed by their behavior? Because I don't like the way the child that they are? Or am I really wanting them to see something good? Am I really wanting them to see who they are in this? And so I can promise you, if you look at the Lord himself... He only gives us, well, I can't promise you, but I want, I want to keep encouraging you. What I know about him is that he, he gives us free will. So unfortunately, yes, you're supposed to train up a child in the way they go, in the way they're supposed to go, but ultimately they do have free will at some point. At the point of their own ability to reason, they're going to make choices. So all you can do at that point is try to advise them and instruct them and then let them make the decision and not criticize it afterwards. That's usually where it comes in. Well, I wouldn't have done that. Or now look what you did. You know, it's like sometimes our kids will make mistakes, and my first response is to go, look at what you did. And then the Lord says, don't you think they already see what they did? Don't they already see where they went wrong? Look at the consequence they're having to struggle through right this second. Is it really going to help for you to go up to them and say, well, now look at what you did, and see, I told you not to do that. That's usually criticism. That's kind of that reinforcement that I want to make you see that I was right and you were wrong. Do you have anything? Mm-hmm. Okay, I, we have... Uh, where does deliverance fall with regards to healing? And why can't we just be delivered from those things that hurt us? You know... That's a great question. We had someone ask that earlier today as well. Um, believe me, if I could find a way to easily go straight to deliverance, we would. But deliverance just isn't as easy as sometimes we've portrayed it to be. It, was, it can be. It depends on what's wrong. But if you're looking at deep, lifelong brokennesses, then sometimes the identity is so broken that you can call that spirit out, but you can't, it, they, it's not going to change because they may have already made a vow that holds that spirit there. And let me tell you the vow, like give you an example. I am gay. If you try to go, to, I'm not saying that's my vow, I'm saying that might have been a vow, it's a vow that I've heard from some folks. 
If you try to go to that person and then they say, I don't want to be gay anymore, and you say, okay, I'm going to cast this spirit of homosexuality out of you, and they still don't believe in their spirit, if they don't really believe fully that they're not gay, that they're not somehow don't fit, that they aren't a better girl than a boy or a better boy than a girl, then there's broken places in there that you're not going to be able to get that spirit to leave, or they may leave and they'll bring back more. You have to be able to make sure that you set up a foundation, that you begin to pray over them and begin to work with them to set up the foundation of who they are. If they live in a bunch of lies of who they're not, then you try and do deliverance. It's not going to go easy, and it's actually going to discourage them because they're wondering, why can't I be healed? You know, I always ask the Lord, and I, and I, and I, just, I love that he, he's patient I always ask him, why can't, why can't we just today go up like the, the, the uh, Gesserine demoniac, the guy who had legion, you know? Why can't you just walk up to a person and say, I command you to leave? Well, I think there's so many things there. Maybe we're not, you know, as much of a faithful community as, as, as he knew because he had a lot of faith. You know, he told his disciples that, only, that one only leaves by prayer and fasting. Maybe we're not doing enough of that, but maybe it's also an identity you know, Jesus Christ was truth. So maybe he had more faith and power than we do. I don't know. All I do know is please don't rush to deliverance. A lot of churches rush to, well, just cast it out. And sometimes that works. I've, have, I've, I've seen it. We do it. But I've also seen over and over that, when I've, that he's taught me that when you try it and that person is not on a solid footing, they're going to go back to their brokenness. And a person who then ends up, you know, acting out in their sexuality or their broken sexuality later down the road, you know, you try to cast this out and they go right back to pornography or they go right back to, then you've caused not only hopelessness in them, but you may have accidentally cleaned the house when it wasn't strong and so that they more, more spirits were brought back. So you want to keep... You know, I personally have found, and I think Shay can attest to this, the more you heal, just walk with them through their healing, the spirits are going to leave on their own. As a person gets healed, any stronghold that's there, the minute that stronghold starts to heal, there is no place there anymore. I have been in sessions with people who Jesus is showing them and they're showing me how their brokenness is beginning to release. And they'll say, I'm seeing it in my own spirit. I can see the tendrils are letting go. So just be careful not to race to that. Okay, you had a question in the back. Yes, sir. I have two questions. Amen. Um, the best way to deal with that is to counteract him with truth. And the more the truth got into my heart, the less there was any doubt. So as I, I can, I can promise, well, I'm, Shay told me earlier, quit saying I can promise you. Okay, so I'm trying not to say that. I don't know where that came from. It just keeps popping out. So I won't, you know, if you hear it again, just go, uh oh, he's popping it out again. But anyway, I was driving somewhere, and I remember I was about 17, and I was begging the Lord to cause my car to go off the road. Now, he doesn't do that. He didn't. I guess he could, but he chose not to. But I truly believed that Jesus has ab- had abandoned me, that he didn't care about me. So there's one lie that Satan very quickly can get into. Well, you know he doesn't care about you. Okay? So you know that where you're going, you're not going to be able to stop. And so I would just end up going wherever I was going to sin. So what began happening is when I realized that that's not the truth, that Jesus hadn't forgotten me, 
but that he loved me right where I was. That he knew exactly who I was. And that he didn't call me a pornographer, a masturbator, a gay person. He didn't call me those things. He called me his son, his beloved. And actually he began to share with me that if you look at the table of the kingdom of God, I, might, might have, a, I have a seat there with my name on it. And I sit with him. And under his righteousness, only through the blood of Christ, I have the righteousness of Christ. And so every single time Satan would come at me and say, you're gay, this is what you do, you just look at porn, go look at it, you know that's what you really want to do, I would begin to try to pray over, okay, who am I really? Well, I'm a son of the king, and I have all the rights and inheritances and privileges of the kingdom. And so why would I, as a prince of the king, go and associate with, with prostitutes, with broken sexuality, however you want to do it. Why would I associate with that? That's not who I am. So then when Satan comes in and says, oh, come on, you know that's what you want, he began to heal those places that would say, no, that's not what I really want. You know, the most amazing thing to me is, is that, and I'm just going to use this as an example, is that Satan loves to tell us who we're not. He will always try and break our identity. Because if you think about it, if we really knew what kind of sons and daughters of the king that we are, we'd have a lot of power to do a lot of things in our own lives. But what happens is, is Satan begins very early saying through our parents, through teachers, through bullies, through other people on the playground, through what coaches, you're worthless, you're not there, you're never going to get there. And so we live sometimes in that place. So he's very easily able to pull the rug out from underneath us because we believe that lie. But as we begin to grasp the truth, as we begin to pray over it, as we begin to, like Shay said, you know, she would journal, she would write poems, she would pray and she would write. And as we begin to write to him, as we, I mean, I wrote journals. There are journals that I promised, well, there it is again. Uh, there are journals that I would not want people to read because I cussed at the Lord. I yelled at him. I screamed at other people. I, I wrote horrible things about myself and then what God began to show me is, is, okay, this is purging. This is purging all the junk out of you that you see, and I'm going to fill you with more of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot indwell where our brokenness is. It can heal, and it can cleanse us, and then it fills, but you have to, you have to allow it to, he, to, fill, to heal first. Does that answer that question? Well, I wanted to say something just because, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, as much as we are now married, husband and wife, like I said, I, do, I did have, you know, two children that, that were raised with two moms. And so the reality is, is that our life now is you know, it's like she's another spouse. You know, my daughter gets married and she, <clears throat> you know, she wants to invite her as well because she's another mom, you know, and this is what was told to me, her graduation, same thing. And I only say that because, because I say that, that that life is there as a reminder of the, <clears throat> the wrongs that I feel like I did. I didn't really mean to do wrong, but they were raised with, you know, a mom that, you know, drank a lot, and I was not present. I was, you know, I was just not present. I was not a good, good influence, and I've had a lot of regret over that, 
I've had a lot of regret. I've said, Lord, you know what? You've restored what the locusts have eaten in my life from my hurts from my dad and my mom and growing up and, and the sexual abuse and the rape and all of those things. But I, but I look at, you know, after we got married, you know, I see the, just the hurt from, especially my daughter. My son was a little more welcoming to him, you know, like, Lee was sharing with somebody the other day. He looks at him and he says, hey, can I call you dad? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, he was very welcoming. But my daughter, she was a little bit harder, you know. And so I saw her kind of going through this anger at God, you know, because here now all of a sudden I'm this Christian, you know, and, and her life is changing, you know. And I only say that because I just want to offer to you that I just, I have grieved over that. I've grieved over just the pain that I've put in their lives and that I didn't know the things that I wish I would have known and been able to offer them. But, but God has shown me that I now am able to offer that. And so I just have to do it in my love and in my life and being just real. I haven't been to the place yet of being able to go and say, or I haven't felt led to go to the place of saying, hey, would you forgive me? Or I feel like, you know, and I don't know that I ever will. I don't know. I leave that up to God. I just know that that I try to have little conversations when I can, you know, with with her especially, but also with, with my son. And um, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. It's, it's gotten to where, you know, she does call him dad. She, she wanted actually him to, to give her away, but he did perform the ceremony at her, at her wedding. And um, so I'm just offering to you that I just don't stay in a place of regret you know, try not to stay in that place of regret. Try and see what God has restored in your own life and let it kind of flow over into your children, you know. Let that flow over. Let it flow up to your to your, your parents and those above you, but also let it flow down to your children, you know. And God will God'll lead it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know that you'll ever get to a place. I don't know that I will. And I did get to that place. I did apologize to my daughter. Um, at some point, I felt like God called me to do it. I prayed and asked him if he would just lay things on my heart every now and again to just send to her, to say, hey, this came to my heart. I just was remembering this. And a lot of it's good things, like, hey, I remember when this happened. But, but I think Shay's right. I think you can't make it happen. And you also can't live in that place of regret constantly because, and I was going to say something about what you said about, you know, you can't do it until, as you're in your own healing, but sometimes healing takes a lifetime. And so it's okay to sometimes say, Lord, I'm not there yet, but if you want me to say something to my kids, if you lay it on my heart, you know, and what's so beautiful is, is, you know, a kid generally is fairly open to just spend time with you, you know? And if they're not, it's okay to, then you may want to begin praying about that. Okay, what if I, where are their hurt? Where's their hurt? And I think there's never a problem with saying, I'm, I'm sorry, you know? I'm sorry about this. I know this hurt you. Does that help? Okay. It just came to my mind, and, and this is just a little tidbit. As my daughter is, is, you know, I go to hug her, you know, and... You know, it used to be that she didn't even really like to be hugged, but I'll go to hug her, and she always goes like this. She always gives me the top of her head because I go to kiss her, right? <laughs> and I'm always telling her, someday you're not going to give me the top of your head, you know? I mean, but I keep praying over that, and I keep grabbing her, and I'll keep kissing her on the top of her head, you know? And I, every time she does that, I feel like, wow, I've caused this. And it hurts. But just keep doing it, that's all. Amen. Love will break through where nothing else will if you just keep loving. With my dad, he's like hugging a tree stump, you know? 
You'd go to hug him, and he'd just stiffen up, like, I don't know what he's doing, I don't know what's happening here, and I'm not supposed to be here. But the more I kept hugging him, the more he finally cut loose and began. You know, it's like when you're not raised in love and when you don't really know it, it's hard to know how to handle it. So just keep doing that. Yes, you had a question? Amen. It's discouraging, but I believe one of the hardest roads is to continue to love someone and pray for someone who doesn't want to hear you. And it's really more for them than it is for you. I know it hurts, and I think God's so real that he's okay with my cries of, you know, I don't understand why they won't see me. I don't understand why they don't want to know me. But I'm still going to love them and I'm still going to pray for them. And I'll pray for that day, even if it's the day you return, that we'll get to see each other. And hopefully we will. Because really, that's the crazy place. Is our, our journey to wholeness is really about loving others well. Even when they hurt us. You know, there's plenty of folks, and I get what you're saying, who could have already said... I'm putting up a boundary there. You know what? If you don't want to see me, I don't want to see you. So I just won't have you in, in my life. But that's not God. It absolutely isn't. It isn't Christ. It isn't his love. His love is you keep praying, you keep loving, and let's see what it does. Because sometimes it's our love is the only thing that's flowing in that place in that moment. Because people get very hurt, and they get very broken, and they get very angry, and they get very bitter and before you know it, it's like they may not want to know you, but your prayers over them are the things that are, st- are still in the, in the mix there. So don't forget that. Okay. I think we may have one more question, and then we'll go to the next place here. Um, so what do you do when you've sought healing several times, when you've reached your heart, searched your heart, cried out to God, and only become more critical, bitter, and, and shut off? When you'd be fine, never seeing your parents again, when you're the same way to your son, your dad was to you, when your head and heart won't connect, when church is obsolete, when Christian verbiage makes you your skin crawl, when your heart becomes so hardened it feels beyond hope, when you cannot receive love or acceptance. Um, well, I'll show you want to answer that one. <laughs> I'm just playing. Uh, you just shared my story there. You just shared actually both of our stories. I mean, I have cried out to God at least three times in my life saying, I hate your effing guts. And he's never once turned away from me. He's never once said, you know what, I'm done with you. Lightning hasn't come down from heaven. He always looks at me and says, okay, you don't think I really know that? You know, everything, whomever that is, everything you just mentioned there is actually born out of a place of thinking God's forgotten me. He doesn't really want to know me. He hasn't shown up. He's not going to. I'm done. And I can promise you that that very place was why we do this, because that very place is why Shay went into her brokenness. That very place is why I went back into my brokenness over and over again. 
Because when you get to that place of hopelessness, that's exactly what Satan wants to do. Is he wants to take every bit of hope, of hope out of your life. And so I can promise you, I'm not going to try to pretty it up. I'm going to say I can imagine that that's exactly the way you feel, that I have no hope, that Jesus hasn't shown up, that I'm bitter, I'm angry, I'm full of rage. Okay, start there. Get angry. But I promise you, sorry, keep saying that. It won't go away. It's the forever stuck spray I'm just playing. I, I can assure you, I guess, is what I'll say. Is go sit with someone that you trust. And if you say, I don't trust anybody, then make that move that Shay made to at least show up. And don't stop. Do not stop. I'm not trying to plug anything here, but I'm saying, Heather and Johnny, that is our goal. Shadow of His Wings Ministry Oklahoma is exactly about that. Is the place where no one can is the place where people can at least think they can go when they've not been able to find anything else anywhere else. But you know what? Don't ever stop asking for help. Get angry. You know, I had a, 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 a guy I worked with, he would carry, and I'm, I'm being honest, he would carry around that one of those Bobo the Clowns with the sand in the bottom of it and, and the inflatable on top and it, in his trunk. And every time he just couldn't take it anymore, he'd take out a baseball bat and he'd just beat that thing to death. You know? Because sometimes we just get angry. And our anger is not born out of our... Of our lack of Christ our anger is real the Bible says be angry but don't sin but the problem is is when we don't deal with our anger it gets stuck in this bucket and before you know it you have a big bucket of rancid sinful anger that turns to rage hurt that never gets dealt with it turns to bitterness and before you know it you don't even want to sit in church and that's the place you want to try to not get to. Because you know what? There is no hope anywhere else. But yet there's always hope in everything else. When Jesus is there. Shay showed up at a rape crisis center. I'm not saying, you know, the, the pious person in me used to think, oh, well, God brought me to the rape crisis center just to help Shay. No, he brought me to the rape crisis center so Shay could help me. You know, that's the crazy place is Jesus never gives up on you. Never. He never will. He has never once left that one lonely sheep. He goes after it. And you just might be that one. And you can get angry. You know, we had a lady who came to a Journey to Joy. It's a wives retreat for wives whose husbands have done a lot of sexual brokenness. She came and all she did was talk about her, 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 um, her healing garden. And what it was made up of is her rage. Where she'd go out and take a hammer or a baseball bat and she just started breaking pots she had all these clay pots with plants in them. And she, when she found out her husband had been having affairs over on for 30 years off and on, she started taking this hammer and this bat and just breaking them, shattering them to pieces, crying, falling into these shards of clay, weeping, yelling. I can promise you this person has got more hurt than anger. Because the hurt is what's telling you nobody cares. It's like I got hurt and nobody sees me. You know? Nobody sees me. They see me, but they don't really know me. Their eyes see right through me. What they think I am is what they want me to be, and I don't want to be that anymore. And yet I'm angry. And I'm rageful because I'm so tired. I'm tired of being the person that I am. Okay. It's the first place to start. But you can't give up there. 
You can't stop at that place. That is the very person and, and variations of that person is what we're here for. Folks, we didn't share our testimonies because, oh, yippee, how wonderful we are. We shared our testimonies because I was hopeless. Shay was hopeless. When you hit that place of hopelessness, you don't know where to go anymore. Why do I do the things I don't want to do and I can't do the things I want to do? Why, God, why? You know, I've heard so much crap. Well, I just, have, I just need a lot of sex. That's why I look at porn. I just need a lot of sex. Or uh, I just have a higher sex drive than most people. Or, or women who say, you know, I've dealt with my sexual abuse. I've already dealt with it. You don't understand. I've already went to a counselor and I can share my story. See? And they share their story. So what? Have you grieved the story? Have you gone to that little girl inside your heart and said, honey, tell me what it felt like for daddy to come into your room at night? Have you grieved what you lost? Have you grieved that that little girl didn't have a childhood that was ripped out of her heart? Have you grieved that? My golly, I'm not going to grieve that because I'm never going back there again. Why? Because I want you to hear this. And Jesus, I pray it falls in places of good soil. You don't really like the little kid inside of you. You don't like whatever it is about her or him that you think they should have known better to prevent what happened or to keep themselves from getting where they got. So I can promise you most of your anger comes from that you're mad because they should have known better. And you know what? That's going to be very hurtful if you stay there because you know what? She didn't know. He didn't know. I did not get into pornography because I just decided one day, hmm, I'm going to struggle with this for the rest of my life. I'm going to end up having sex with men that I can't stop. I'm going to break a marriage. I'm going to break a child. I'm going to break my own heart. I'm going to do all this stuff. And oh, by the way, that's okay because it's all my fault because I chose it. There's nothing right about that. That's the broken place. That's why I get so tired of people saying, well... You know what, at some point you have to take responsibility for what you did. Okay, take responsibility at some point. But tonight's not tonight. Tonight, it's really about why don't you look at what hurts you? Why don't you look at why you can't stop the things you do? Why don't you look at why you're so angry? Well, I'm angry because I don't think God loves me. Okay, there's your first lie. Find somebody who can help you walk through that lie. You want to know why we think it's important to look at, at hidden wounds? Because you know what, folks? I, don't, I was a Christian since I was eight years old. But I didn't find abundant life until many years later. Because you can claim to be a Christian, and you actually may be. But if you're living in your rage and your bitterness and your, and your sadness and your loss and your hopelessness and your shame, then guess what? You're never going to know the abundant life that God has for you. And you may be saying right now, like I was back in your seat, I don't know how to get there. Then go ask someone. Go ask. Let someone help you get there. And if they don't, Go ask somebody else. Because Jesus has, in my heart, he has one definitive thing you can always count on, that you should know the truth and the truth should set you free. So if you are not free tonight of whatever it is you struggle with, then he wants you to be free. He loves you that much. His heart for you is freedom. His heart for you is knowing who you are and knowing what happened to you. He told me everything about myself. That's what the woman at the well said. 
Why do we look for hidden wounds? I worked with one lady, and I, I always come back to this at some points because as we would pray over her healing, it was crazy how we would be praying and God would bring to her heart this bubble. I mean, it's the craziest thing. And then she would say, okay, I'm going to ask him to pop the bubble. And he'd pop the bubble. And then her hurt would come out. And I mean, she would start to sob and she'd have a memory attached to that bubble. And he'd give me a glimpse of what the bubble looked like and we'd work through that bubble. And then she'd have a few weeks of good time of things that felt safe and peaceful. And then I'll be darned if another bubble wasn't coming up again. Our hurts tend to layer upon each other because you're, you're not eight years old anymore, but yet you have hurts from four and five and six and eight and 10 and 12 and 15. And so maybe you're still angry because something hurt you. You know, the, the church has accidentally said, well, you just need to stop. If you've ever been jealous, you just need to stop being jealous. Don't you know jealousy is a sin? Yes, thank you very much. I know jealousy is a sin. Do you know how to stop it? No. Well, then stop it. Well, I don't know how. Well, it's a sin. Well, thank you very much. I already knew it was a sin. Well, then stop it. Well, I don't know how. Well, don't you know jealousy is a sin? You want me to keep doing this all night? No. So people can tell you it's a sin. Guess what, folks? The law points out our sin, but grace heals it. So somebody could tell me, don't you understand that what you do is a sin? Thank you. I know that. But tell me how to stop it. Knowing right from wrong does not stop it. Did you know that? When was the last time you, you, you told your kid right from wrong, and if it was an ingrained activity, whether he was telling fibs and lies and whether he was doing it, you can tell him lying is wrong and I can guarantee you, until he looks at that place, until you help him find that place of hurt, he's going to lie again. And you can shame him and say, shame on you. Don't you know Jesus doesn't like you to lie? Well, thank you. Now, Jesus doesn't like me and I'm a liar. That doesn't help. What helps is, is honey, why do you lie? Well, let's look at it. Because I'm afraid of you, mom and dad. I lie because I'm afraid that you're going to be disappointed in me. So I tell more of myself. I embellish on who I am. I don't know how to quit stealing cookies from the cookie jar. And so why do I lie to you? Because I know I've already done it, and now you're going to just be mad at me. So who needs to change there? Maybe I need to change as a parent the way I deal I'm working right now with a 22-year-old man who's lived in the gay lifestyle for his entire life. He used to make up these embellished stories about who he was. He had his father in the military. His father was never in the military. He had his father ultimately working for the CIA. His father never worked for the CIA. He's 22, and he's saying, I need to stop this, but I don't know how. Well, just stop it. It's a sin. That doesn't work. What he began to see is I do these things because I'm afraid that I won't be liked if I'm not something special. How are people going to really want to be around me if I don't wow and, 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 uh, and make people feel great about me? It's the same thing for each of you. Why do you do the things you do? Because your heart is broken. Your heart is hurt. You don't just act out on your brokenness because you're sinner, you act out on it because you have nothing else to hang on to except the counterfeit. So that's the beginning. That's the beginning of looking at why we need to look at our sin, our brokenness, our condition of sin, our hurts. Because <laughs> what I love about Christ is he, he ended up with some folks saying, go and sin no more. Now, that's a beautiful sentence, go and sin no more. But that's, in my opinion, the end of the story. I think when you meet Jesus face to face, he can say that, and you will go and sin no more. But up until that, there may be some things he wants to show in your life.
So don't just get upset because you're not there yet. Get hopeful because you're on your road. God has not forgotten you. He will not stop. He will not keep looking. I always say to Shay, he overturns, or actually we say to folks, he overturns every stone. There's never a stone that he's not going to overturn if you're willing to see it. Okay? Okay. Well, why don't we, uh, if y'all don't mind coming up, tomorrow night, uh-huh. tomorrow night is our ladies' night. And so, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> See, I told you she's got karaoke starting up next Friday. It'll be at six o'clock. No, I'm just playing. Um, ladies' night will be for the daughters. Okay, and even that word itself sometimes evokes pain. Because am I really a daughter? And then Tuesday night will be for the sons. Isn't it great to be a son of the king? It's beautiful to be the son of a king. But if you don't really know how to get there, now, now, now Tuesday night and Monday night, Monday night we're going to look at ladies' issues, sexual abuse. We're going to be looking at sexuality. We're going to be looking at wounds that hurt women. So I know that's a struggle. It hurts. It's sometimes scary. But... We believe that those are the bigger wounds. And that's what we want to start looking at. For Tuesday night, we want to work with men. Now, you know, if you show up on Tuesday night, it does not mean as a man that you have homosexuality in your life, okay? Just because that's my problem doesn't make it yours, okay? And I promise you, we're not going to give you a lie detector test. (laughs) So just come if you struggle. Come if you struggle with your own identity. Struggle with what you, if you can't stop doing things you really want to stop doing. You know what? I read statistics the other day that one out of four to five men have been sexually abused in some way in their lifetime. One out of three to four women have been sexually abused in their lifetime. And sometimes we look at sexual abuse as just certain things. But did you know that we've worked with folks where sexual abuse has been, you know, playing doctor, so to speak? It can wound. Playing doctor is not just playing doctor. You touch mine, I'll touch yours. Is not sometimes just this, this momentary, oh, it just happens. Everybody does it. It's brokenness. It can sometimes lead to brokenness. Sometimes it doesn't, but sometimes it does. And I can promise you it isn't just that you need sex because God did not give us our sexuality for it to rage out of control. He would never do that. God has never given us the gift of sexuality to have it rage out of control. So, Monday night for ladies, Tuesday night for for men. What? Can it be teens? Yes, it can be teens. So if you are at least 14 above, 13 according to parental wishes, it's up to you all if you want to bring your child. Y'all have anything you want to say? I would just, I think it was maybe two weeks ago or a week and week, Sunday ago, just to encourage you to invite someone. I mean, this is, this isn't just something that we deal with as a church. I mean, this is, I mean, this is going on in our our community. I mean, at the core of us, we're all, I mean, God's made us to be sexual people. So, I mean, as much as, you know, we're here at church talking about this, I mean, we all have neighbors, we've got friends, we've got coworkers, college, uh, you know, people that we know that are here in the college. Invite someone. I mean, this is a, it's a great opportunity to get this on the table and get a healthy God perspective on our sexuality. So uh, I wish that I would have had this. Um, I wish I would have had this 10 years ago. I wish I would have had this at 13, 14, 15. I think about how much different my life could be. So I would just encourage you guys, invite someone. It's, it's the, really, it's the gift that, that you're giving them. So they're talking about it everywhere else. I'm just saying, let's bring it into the church. So. Amen. (laughs) Let it be. So it, so it is written. So it, let it be done. So, uh, we're going to put on a song. If the 
sweet folks in the back of the room don't mind adding a song on right now. And we're just going to be up here for a little while to pray with you. Uh, let's do another one while we pray, and then we'll end with that one. How does that sound? So if we could do something, not that one. Okay, okay, that's cool. The boss has said, why don't we do the I Need You to Survive First? That's a good one. Now, this is an interesting song, so just bear with us. Everybody come up kind of to the clo- up front here. I know, you're not going to break if you have to. You don't have to come all the way up, but just kind of up a little bit further. Just stand up. <laughs> that's okay. You, I can surprise you sometimes. Just kind of come up. Take your, your neighbor's hand. Take my hand, neighbor. I know it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to get to know each other. It's uncomfortable to be next to somebody. Now, we believe in relationship. We believe that a lot of our brokenness is in broken relationship. And so, <laughs> I guess we're scooting around here. <laughs> All right. There we go. Okay. <laughs> now, we'll allow you people to sneak out of the back there just this one time. <laughs> I'm just playing. Um, this is a song that we do at the end of, of most of our retreats. And if you've ever heard it before, uh, you'll know it. If you haven't heard it, you may love it by the end of this uh, of, of tonight. It's by Hezekiah Walker. It's called "I Need You to Survive." So we we sing this to kind of close tonight. Mm-hmm. 